0: Would you please be seated and would you please turn in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 14? I'd like to read for us, uh, again for context, uh, verses 1 through verse 18. We are looking tonight at verses um, 8 through 13. And again, let's listen to the Lord's Word. I'm in Acts 14, verses 1 and following. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed, both of Jews and of Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, and some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews, with their rulers, to mistreat and to stone them, they became aware of it and fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding region. And there they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra a man was sitting, who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked, this man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty... They restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. This is the Lord's word. Would you bow with me and let's seek the Lord and his blessing. Again, our Father, we thank you for this night. And we do, as we have just sung to you, we ask that your spirit would be poured out upon us and that you would revive your work, that you would cause our hearts to be inflamed with love for you. As we again recount uh, you're dealing with your people uh dealing with the sinner throughout history and that we would see lord that you are the god who does not change that you are very much uh as you ever were active in this world redeeming the lost would you father please strengthen your the faith of your people tonight in this place and for those who might be joining from afar we ask that your grace be upon us and that um You will bless this servant for your glory. We ask all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Here are the apostles, and we use this term very generally uh, to mean that those who were sent out by the church, Barnabas and Paul, they have left Iconium. Uh, we are told, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them, they fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, Derbe, and the surrounding region, and we are told, and there they continued to preach the gospel. They continue to preach, and the persecution also against them continues as they continue to preach. For the church, it is good to remember that there is nothing strange, nor should it surprise us when opposition arises from the world. And it should never surprise us when opposition arises in the midst of the religious community whenever the gospel is preached. This opposition, uh, we have said repeatedly, is intended to silence, to intimidate, and even to cause people to fall away, to apostatize, um, to fall away from Christ. The effect would be, we would say, to neutralize the gospel going forward, right? Anytime you're preaching and you meet with opposition, you say, Oh, forget it. Uh, You just want to walk away. You want to say it's it's not worth it. And so this is the effect to neutralize the gospel, to make it ineffectual, to stop the advance of the kingdom of Christ, to silence its messengers, and to ward off any possible adherence. As we come now to verses 8 through 18, we find another ploy of the devil and his attempts to neutralize uh, the advance of the gospel. We're not going to get through this whole passage of scripture clearly from verse 18 but it's a very interesting thing we've been seeing that as the apostles are going forward and as they're preaching the gospel and they're meeting with persecution we have a very different scheme ploy of the devil at this time and it's very interesting to me that here they come to Lystra they're preaching the gospel and instead of persecution what do they meet with they meet with praise I mean, imagine the sweetheart deal that this is going to Lystra. Dude, they think we're gods. They want to offer sacrifices to us. And it it dawned on me that after being through such intense persecution for the apostles to meet with people who weren't trying to kill them, at least at this point, it could feel very comfortable and say, well, we can work with these people. At least they're not trying to kill us. But you see, the net result is still the same. Because in persecution, the goal is to keep you from looking at Jesus Christ. And when your eyes are focused on a man, your eyes are still not on Jesus Christ. And so the net result is still the same. The gospel doesn't go forward. And so here we have um, this, this praise. We will see it, and we're building up to this, and we'll get into it again next week. We have to be very uh, cautious about this, that one is just as dangerous as the other, as the result becomes the same. Faithful ministers will not succumb to either one. And this is what we see with Paul and Barnabas. They don't succumb to these things. Once again, we find the apostles now in Lystra preaching the gospel. They are doing what they do, and they are being faithful. (coughs) Notice here, too, that they don't end up going to a synagogue. This is the first time that previously they've been going into synagogues and they've been dealing with people who are Jews or God-fearing Gentiles. So they have a foundation. This time they've taken a step back and now they're dealing with a very different group of people. Listen to the word and how, how it portrays the gospel going forward with power. Listen to verses 8 through 10. We read this. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen what he had that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and he leaped up and began to walk. I said that Lystra is a very different type of town. It's uh, roughly 20 miles from Iconium. It was a a city that the Romans had colonized. One commentator says, besides Roman colonists, the population of Lystra consisted of the class which was educated in Greek manners and the Greek language and the uneducated Lyconian population. Uh, The Romans would have been the ruling class The Greeks or Hellenists were educated and generally well-to-do people. The common people, however, spoke the Lyconian language and thereby proved that linguistically they were not influenced by Roman or Greek culture, although they were influenced by Greek religion, obviously because we read of Zeus and Hermes. People, we are told, from the rural areas would come to the marketplace where they would meet Jewish merchants, Greek gentlemen, and Roman officers. In other words, Paul and Barnabas, in coming to Lystra, have come and are dealing now with a very diverse group of people. Um, When I went to Burma or Myanmar some years back, it was the most frightening thing I have ever done in my life because it was such a different world. you'd you'd walk into town and you would see Muslims and you would see Hindus and there were Buddhists everywhere. And it was just a very completely different world. You step into it and you can imagine that the apostles walking into Lystra now, they're not dealing with the synagogues, they're dealing with all sorts of things that now they're being confronted with. Interestingly, however, the message that they bring doesn't change. I think that's a very interesting point. They come and they bring the gospel to these people. They don't change the message. They don't do what we've heard of of missionaries doing. They uh synchronize with the 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 culture around them and this is how we can introduce Jesus Christ. Notice too that when they strive to offer sacrifice to the, to them, what do they say? Uh-uh. You don't do that. We don't we don't Defy or disobey the word of God to get the message out. I think those are uh, some fundamental principles of missions right there. Preach the word and don't do things that the Lord tells you not to do when you're, when you're going forward. So here, interestingly, we have this account and we read, uh, it, it's a very similar account as we read in Acts 3, 1 through 8 regarding the lame beggar and Peter here, however, it is in regard to the lame man and Paul, as if Luke is pointing out to the church that Paul, where Paul elsewhere would say in Galatians two, eight, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. A very similar story of uh, that Peter and now with Paul and this the lame that they heal, here now in Lystra, preaching the gospel, not in a synagogue, but in the marketplace. Near the gates of the city, we are introduced to a man. The man we're not given a name. He is sitting. He has no strength in his feet. He was lame from his mother's womb. He has never walked. The man's condition, uh, you will notice, is one of hopelessness. It is in his feet. And and I think that these little details say a lot to us here. The sickness he has is, is in his feet. It's not a problem with his hip, it's not a trick knee but it is his feet, the foundation of standing, walking, running, or jumping. He has been lame his whole life, from his mother's womb, we are told. He had no concept of what it meant to walk. He has never walked. He sees the others do it, but he himself has never experienced it um, from the womb. He's never experienced it. And here he is now, a man who was sitting his whole life. He has had to depend upon others to move him around, and he would... Um, to the day he dies, have this same, uh, same dependency on others. His condition, as I said, would have been considered quite a hopeless and impossible situation. You're supposed to see this. And so listen to what, what uh, Luke writes in verse 9. He says, this man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him, and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. This man is listening. This hopeless man is listening to Paul as he spoke. What things was the apostle saying? We we can very easily assume that Paul is is preaching the gospel. He's speaking about the Lord. He's speaking about the Lord's love for sinners, his mercy demonstrated to the sinner by the giving of his son, the effect of sin uh, upon this world and uh, even upon this man and then how this sin is to be undone uh, by Jesus Christ. And this man is listening to Paul. Now this this may seem like, um, well, duh, he, he should be listening. He should be listening. But what we find out is that the rest of the people aren't listening vast crowds of people are not listening and here's this lame man who has no strength in his feet who has never walked been lame from his mother's womb he's sitting there and he's looking at Paul he's listening to the gospel message this hopeless man has never been given a message of hope and now he hears this message of hope and so here he is what things was the apostle saying? He's, he's clearly giving the gospel, and he's listening to Paul. As Paul is speaking, he fixes his gaze on him, his eyes locked in on this lame man, and Paul sees that he had faith to be made well. My question is, how did Paul see this? What does he see? What does he witness in this man that he can see that he has faith to believe? Was it his attentiveness? Was he this... this kind of individual who's hanging on every word that is spoken is the man sitting there nodding in agreement uh, affirming what uh, what the apostle is saying and following it was it a, 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 a providence was it God's spirit directing Paul focus in on this man we don't know whatever it is the man was given the gift of faith to be made well well in what sense Simply put, one commentator says, it is faith necessary for salvation. The verb to be healed can also mean to be saved. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke often link faith to healing miracles. Jesus often said these words, your faith has saved you, as he spoke these things to whom he healed miraculously. This man has a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now, whether he expected to be healed of his lameness or was an anticipation of being delivered from the penalty of sin, I do not know. But we read that Paul said, with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet, and the man leaped up and began to walk. Now, this has occurred before in Iconium, in verse 3, we read this. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. Once again, the Lord has testified, borne witness to the word that was preached, that Paul was a true messenger and the gospel message was true and powerful to save. Remember that the the people, when Peter had healed the lame man, People were looking at them as though they were the ones who did the healing. And Peter says this, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us? As if by our power or piety, we had made him walk. This is quite a significant miracle. I want you to understand it. And we we can read it by it quickly. But think about it for a second. The apostle with a loud voice for the benefit of those standing nearby tells the lame man, stand upright on your feet. I want you to think about this. And we've, we've spent a f- several days with our grandchildren after Diana and Ben have this new baby. And they're all at this age where they're, they're, they're learning to walk. Have you ever considered how much work it is for these toddlers to learn to walk? They stand. They try to balance themselves. It's it, <laughs> they stand and they wobble. They're unsure about themselves, their chubby little legs, chubby little ankles, and they take a step, and they rock back and forth, and they fall, and, and I, I'm watching um, our one granddaughter, Addie, who was just, it just seemed like just weeks ago, she was still un, unsteady on her feet, and now she's running. And I see her running through the house. It's taken her months, it, it takes children generally months to perfect this running this man think of it was lame from his mother's womb again he had no strength in his feet he has never done this before he has no no idea how things will work his muscles again toddlers it takes months and they have a low center of gravity um, and here is this man his muscles being atrophied from lack of use right his, his, his legs aren't developed his ankles aren't strong What about his hips? What about his knees? What about all these things? And Paul says, get up. And and we're told the man leaped up and began to walk. It's not just that the feet are strengthened. It must be that everything in that man's body is strengthened and healed in order to instantaneously be able to leap up. It was was this morning... uh, John Burberry, we were watching some of the children rolling around on the ground out here. He goes, you know, I can fall just as fast as any of those children on the floor. He goes, the difference is I can't spring up off the floor like they do. And then you think about this man. He leaps, he leaps up off the ground, and he walks. This is not just a pretty good miracle. This is a really strong a really good miracle that the apostle paul has has accomplished by the power of god hopeless impossible with god or with people rather this this is impossible but with god all things are possible again no strength a staple of the community a fixture for years besides the pathway A man who hears the word and believes the word concerning the gospel and is healed by God, demonstrating to the crowds that this messenger and message are true and powerful. The man experiences resurrection power. He experiences resurrection power. This is the way it will be on the day when we meet the Lord Jesus face to face. Our bodies will be healed. Nothing will be holding us back. Our our legs will be strengthened. Our eyesight will be better. Um, Here, the power of the resurrection in Christ Jesus, the effects of sin are undone. Remember what he said, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the gospel preached to them. The problems are undone, and sometimes, sometimes immediately, but one day for all of us, completely this is what will come about now the crowds have seen this and what should have been their response what should have been their response it should have been faith in the message preached but we don't see that and and so the, for this reason it becomes very interesting to me this passage it did not happen in large scale as it happened with peter in acts 4:4 we are told my friends, this is the same power, the same gospel today available to those who believe. But notice that the crowds do not believe, but instead they interpret what has been done through their own grid of experience and folklore and myth. Listen to what happens in verses 11 through 13. We we see that the wicked here misassign the power of God to men. Verses 11 through 13 we read, When the crowd saw that Paul had done what Paul had done, they raised their voice saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Wicked misassigned the power of God to men. Again, an astounding miracle, truly. The crowds saw what the apostle had done, but they did not apparently listen to the message at all. The man who was healed listened to Paul as he spoke. Remember this. The crowds did not listen to the gospel message. They don't hear about God. They don't hear judgment, sin, or about Jesus Christ. There is no framework for interpreting this miracle. They do not recognize the words that have been given. It's a sensational work, but in their eyes, it is not attributed to anyone or anything else but to Paul and Barnabas. The miracle is an end in itself and it served no other purpose. We've discussed this before, that miracles are to be considered as secondary things. In our culture, we look at miracles as being primary things and the word being secondary. Remember the Jews, we show us a sign, give us a sign. And no sign, said Jesus, it's a wicked and adulterous generation who asks for a sign. No sign will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. <clears throat> Remember that. Should have been listening to the word. They Should have been listening to the word. Miracles are not of of primary importance, but they're secondary. Um, They are not a primary witness of the gospel, and and this is a very easy point to prove. We always see the word being preached. We don't always see miracles being done, do we? In the scriptures as we read it, it's always the word that is preached. That's not the miracle. Sometimes miracles accompany the word being preached, which authenticates the message and the messenger. But oftentimes, there is no miracle that is given. Uh, Again, the the miracle demonstrates the truthfulness of the word, but they cannot and must not replace the word itself. These crowds, as we will see, import their own meaning into the miracle, and they misassign the power of God to to the men. And this is crazy, and yet we see this very thing today. And I fear as a culture like theirs, We are ripe for being deceived by false signs and wonders. This sign was not false, and I want to make that clear, but they were unmoored from the truth of the word preached and therefore assigned a false interpretation to a true heaven-sent miracle. And if you turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13, I want to read for us uh, verses 1 through 5. Listen to this and, and think about this. And the reason I'm I'm focusing in on this is because in our culture we've become so enamored with the phenomenal and the sensational and it's it's taking over the church and yet it shouldn't take over the church. There's no doubt that the power of God is, is available and that power that we see in these miracles recorded for us in the scriptures are given to us to reassure us that that the same God who heals this lame man, who, who can make him completely well, is the same God who will likewise raise our bodies on judgment day and, and, and elevate us to everlasting life and glory. The problem comes is when we give our, our trust and our faith to signs and wonders. Listen to what is written here in, in Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. Yeah, but it's a miracle. Yeah, but it's amazing what that guy's doing or what he has done. The question is, what's he counseling? And you see, when, when they counsel something that goes against the word, that makes the, the miracle or the sign a false sign a false wonder, and it should not be heeded. By God's definition, the word takes primacy over the miracle. And so we judge all things by the word of God. Years ago, people were following, and I suppose it's still going on today to a large extent, you'd hear about people uh, invoking spirit guides. And they would say, I have a spirit guide. Well, it's an angel. And they would talk about what the angel would tell them, and these are real phenomena, real things going on, real spiritual beings. The question is, what kind of angel? And it's easy to determine. What did that angel tell you? He told me to believe in myself. He told me that I have the power within. You know, and they tell you things like this. What does an angel in the scriptures always a true angel of the Lord come? What does he say? He speaks. He says, be not afraid, right? And he comes and brings a message from the Lord, of the Lord, pointing the people to the Lord. When people would fall down and worship angels, good angels, what do they do? They say, stop that, get up, I'm just a servant like you. That's the word. That's what the word tells us. We see these miracles take place and everyone goes crazy over them. As if there's something whoa, look at this. And we don't interpret them properly. It, gets, it gets, um, hits closer to home, I think, as if you will turn with me to Second Thessalonians chapter two. Verses three through four, and then we'll read nine through 12. Paul writes, "Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. He's speaking of the, the return of the Lord." Unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so called God or object of worship, so that he will take his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. In verse 8, we read, Then that lawless one will be revealed. And then in 9, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. With all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false, in order that they may be judged, all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Signs and wonders must be interpreted in the light of the truth of God's Word. That's what made this miracle, that's what gave this miracle its its clarity and its force. It's that it came in conjunction with the Gospel message that Christ has conquered sin, that Christ has conquered this world, that Christ is able to save, that in Christ God will deliver people, he'll deliver the sinner, This is what gives the miracle its meaning. Apart from the message of the gospel, the miracle itself actually becomes something in the hands of Satan that is used to deceive people because they do not recognize where the power uh, has come from. So they must be interpreted in the light of the truth of God's word. If the message or the miracle goes contrary to the word, it must be rejected. understand that Satan is a great deceiver and furthermore that men are prone to idolatry which is what we find here they don't give two hoots about what Paul has said they are interested in latching on to these two men for selfish reasons as we will see what was their response to this miracle They raised their voice, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have become like men and have come down to us. Their eyes are not on Jesus Christ, which was the whole point of the miracle, but upon the men or the man who performed the miracle. Look what they can do for us. Think how they can help us. Oh, friends, you've got to be careful of this very thing. And and we'll see this and we'll look at it more next week, uh, the whole idea of idolatry. But notice here that the crowds are looking to Paul and Barnabas to be able to do something for them. And you think about idolatry and idolizing people, and we do that today. Friends, do not look to men or women to be or to do for you what only God himself can do. No man can satisfy you. No woman can satisfy you. You were made so that only one could satisfy you and that is the Lord himself you were made to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and these people are so taken away with them so convinced by what they saw and by how they fallaciously interpreted this event they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker some have inferred that Barnabas was called Zeus because he was a more imposing figure and that Paul was called Hermes because he would have been the main speaker, as Paul was. I would say that based on what's going on here, you can't put a whole lot of stock in anything that these people are saying because they're delusional. And, and this is, I don't, I don't say this facetiously, sin makes you crazy. It makes you crazy when you are unhinged and unhitched from the word of God, you don't see things clearly, period. And that's why we see our world going off its rocker. It's interesting, and and multiple sources cite this. Uh, There was a legend, uh, it's religious lore, that was believed by many people. Uh, Again, many people cite this. It was recorded by the Roman poet Ovid, who lived from 43 B.C. to 17 A.D. He refers to Jupiter and Mercury. Those are um, the uh, Roman names for Zeus and Hermes. He said this. He said that both Zeus, the chief of the gods, and Hermes, the messenger of the gods, had visited an area in the province of Phrygia, but had been denied lodging by the local people. Remember, this is local lore. This is what the people believed. They had been denied lodging by the local people. Finally, an elderly man and his wife welcomed the gods to their humble dwelling. The gods amply rewarded the couple's hospitality by turning their house into a temple and at the couple's request appointing them priests in this temple. The gods punished the rest of the people by destroying their homes. That was the, that was the account given by Ovid. So when they say the gods have become like men and have come down to us, Friends, they mean it, and they believe this. That's why I say, when we are unattached to the scriptures, we become crazy. Now, (laughs) what comes to my mind, um, worldly systems of thought will make you nuts, and it makes me wonder about the UFO phenomena that we are now experiencing in our day and how we are being conditioned to be deceived by these kinds of things. I mean, if you've seen the guy uh, pass out here on your way to Hudson, you'll see that a man has put a little spaceship up. Have you seen it? With the two aliens standing out. It's kind of a creepy thing. Um, but this is the kind of thing, and, and, and the, the our own government now is saying, yes, yes, these things really do exist. I'm not denying that things exist. I am denying that they're extraterrestrial. But But what I think is interesting is that you have the folklore, and then you see a phenomenon, and because we're so inundated with falsehood, we start to assign things to those falsehoods. This is what we see going on a miracle that was clearly done in the name of Jesus Christ, and by the power that Christ provides, has healed this man, a man that everyone has seen his entire life sitting out there. They hear it in conjunction with the gospel. And what do they hear? Oh, it's the gods have come down to dwell among us. Look, and they've been deceived and now they are taking what is a godly thing and they are twisting it and contorting it to their own ends and and for their own benefit. Finally, the crowds and culture are taken up with this notion that the gods have become like men and have come down to us and we read the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. How utterly pagan and dark they were in their understanding because they didn't have the gospel, because they didn't have the truth of scripture. Remember, in Sunday school, we talked about general revelation and special revelation. What happens when your government and and your, your educational system starts telling you, well, they're extraterrestrials we start looking through this grid and we start interpreting general revelation through this warp. The warp, we said our, our warp is, is made worse by our sin, but now let's, let's compound that and make sin even more sinful by saying there isn't a God, but this, that life started by aliens coming to the planet and seeding the planet with life. You can't make this stuff up. This stuff comes from hell. It's godless. And yet, this is the way our world is. And, friends, this is the culture we're in, apart from the Lord and apart from the light of the scriptures, pushing back or shining upon this stuff. This is what they are wrestling with. They are pagan and they are dark in their understandings. Not knowing the truth, they are deceived. But notice they are spiritual, they are religious, and they have a zeal, but a zeal without biblical knowledge. And they are looking to men to secure their well-being and furthermore believe that it is secured by the works of their hands, i.e., the sacrifice that they want to offer. They have missed the point completely and utterly that it is not what we do by the works of our hands, nor is our blessing to come from men our blessing, and we learn this from the lame man being healed, who simply listened to the gospel and believed, and he was delivered. Like the lame man, blessing comes from the Lord, and blessing from the Lord comes by the gift of his grace. This is what we see here. This is what is going on in this text. And as we will continue on next week, um, we see how Paul approaches uh, the unregenerate man who has no biblical foundation, and he takes him then to general revelation and says, let's, let's go back to square one. Let's, let's see uh, where our blessing comes from. We will pick up again next week. If you'll bow with me, we'll pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Thank you, Father, again for your word, and we thank you for this passage. And we pray, Father, um, that you would open doors for your gospel. We know that this world is lost. We know that our neighbors are lost. We know that people believe all sorts of things. Uh, They are deceived and under uh, the power of the God of this world. But we know, O Lord, that you are greater. And so we pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit, that you would open doors for your gospel, and that you would prepare hearts to hear. I do pray that you would bring about a great turning of hearts to you. And we pray, Father, that like the lame man who simply looked and believed, we ask, Father, that you would heal the masses and bring them to a right sense, to a true sense, to a true understanding of the power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Again, we thank you for this evening and pray all of this now in Jesus' name, amen.